Church family, let's uh, stand together for the reading of God's word. Thank you, choir. God got me ready for the sky to split and the Lord to return. He is coming back soon. Reading of God's word this morning from Acts chapter 8, verses 26 through 40. Jewish prophet, a Greek witness, an Ethiopian seeker, and the Holy Spirit behind it all. Let's read it. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Now this is a desert place. And he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you are reading? He said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his... Life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the way, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? He commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Let's pray together. Father, this reminds us of your great heart to see men and women of every language, every tribe, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And I pray uh, for... All of us here who find personal evangelism daunting, difficult, that you'd use this scripture to edify us. And if there be anyone here today similar to this Ethiopian who is a humble and honest seeker of truth, that, Father, you would do for them exactly what we see preserved here in scripture. Use the word of God to bring us to an understanding of who Christ is, what he's done and what it means in our own lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, you may be seated. Acts chapter 8, as we continue along together. There is a uh, box at my mom's house that contains uh, some things that I hope never really see the light of day. It's a collection of VHS tapes. When I was growing up, back in uh, my childhood, we had the big old uh, home movie camera. You know what I'm talking about? The one that you put up on your shoulder, right? And you'd insert the VHS tape into it and close it and you'd record off the camera. Anybody remember what I'm talking about? I mean, you could have it up there for about 12 minutes before your shoulder went numb, you know what I mean? And, and so when I was growing up, one of my favorite things to do was to write, produce, direct, and star in my own productions. I had a cousin, her name's Carrie, and sort of a tradition was that she would come 
uh, a week in August each summer and kind of spend the week with us right before school started back in, and we would commonly get together, and that was sort of movie week, right? That was our own version. You've heard maybe of Shark Week. This was our movie week where we made our own movies, and not long ago, um, I stumbled upon a VHS tape with some of these films. My favorite one, my favorite one is we made a Western that again, have I told you yet that I wrote, directed, produced, and starred in? And I cast myself as the lead, the brave sheriff, right? Who, uh, and she was going to play, of course, the damsel in distress, if you will. And I was going to rescue her. And uh, so the movie comes on, and uh, I've got my cowboy hat and my six-shooter. And, uh, and the rules were that you had to shoot from the waist up because I didn't have any cowboy boots, and we didn't want anything to be misleading we wanted to really set the stage and so uh, as we're coming along we, we tried to figure out a horse thing and that didn't really work I mean how can you have a western without a horse we just did the best we can and and at the opening scene of our western now the camera opens up on me and I'm walking in and in the background drives a car there's a car right right back right and so so immediately pretty clear this is as if it weren't clear enough already this is very in awe authentic, right? As we study Acts, we're reading about the church when it was young, and these are authentic believers in Jesus Christ. The way they love each other, the way they endure persecution and and hardship, the way they leverage everything about their lives to the glory of God and the benefit of one another, the, the way they boldly proclaim the gospel. And Philip, as we've studied him in recent weeks, such a marvelous example of an authentic believer in Jesus. Long before the spotlight ever gets on him, we find him faithful in so-called little things. And you understand, again, backing up a couple of weeks, what I mean when I say little things. They're not really little. They're just things that the world doesn't take a large account of, but that make the headlines in heaven. And here's Philip willing, before he preaches to a bunch of Samaritans and sees a whole city transformed, before that happens, he's there faithfully in little things, making sure the widows get everything that they need there in the Jerusalem church. And then we see him here in Acts chapter 8 when he does go down to Samaria and proclaims to them the Christ and the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip. And now we hear again, or rather another scene of Philip here in Acts chapter 8 where the Spirit of God leads him to share the gospel with an Ethiopian eunuch. We have here in Acts 8 what is on the surface now a straightforward conversation between two men. But on closer examination, I think we'll find that it's much more than just a simple conversation. It's a transformative moment used by the Holy Spirit to bring a man to conversion. Have you ever been there when someone's converted? Now, of course, if you're a follower of Jesus, you were there when you were converted. What does it take to bring someone from death to life in Christ Jesus? How does it happen? How does someone... Become born again. And these verses that we've read this morning, a a marvelous example of an honest and humble seeker who's looking for answers that ultimately found only in the Bible, and then a witness of the good news of the gospel comes alongside of him to explain that good news. And then, of course, the Holy Spirit is behind it all. So if you think about it for a moment, it's the Holy Spirit... They're reading from Isaiah, the prophet, right? And Isaiah wrote these words that the eunuch is reading 700 plus years before he reads them. Now, who inspired the Holy, uh, who inspired rather Isaiah to write what he wrote? You know the answer. Who? All scripture is God breathed. 
and of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit inspires Isaiah to write a prophecy about Christ. And who was it that led Philip to come to this place to speak to this person? It's the Holy Spirit. See, the Spirit's working in the heart of the Ethiopian, and then he's working through Philip. The Spirit sends Philip to the Ethiopian all for the purpose that the good news of Jesus would be proclaimed to him. It's marvelous, isn't it? And I believe for honest seekers, and we'll talk about what we mean by that more in a moment, and for willing witnesses, the Holy Spirit still works in this manner, right? Spirit's above it all, using the Word of God to bring an honest seeker and a witness of the gospel. So the Holy Spirit uses the Scripture, uses a willing witness to proclaim the good news of the gospel to someone who's honestly seeking. Friends, these are things worth getting excited about. So this is the outline a little bit. We want to talk about the seeker, honest seeker who's the Ethiopian. Secondly, we'll talk about this willing witness named Philip, some things we can see in his life, that if you're a believer in Jesus and you're engaged in sharing the gospel with other people, some things that you want to pick up on that Philip does. Can I just pause here for a moment? If you're a believer in Jesus, do you have a sincere, honest desire to see other people come to faith in Christ? You have that instilled in you. Now, I have to, I have to tell you, friends, uh, uh, as absurd as it would be to believe a Western's being authentic with a car driving behind it, I, I don't know if it's authentic Christianity, spirit-led Christianity, if there's not in you a desire to see others come to faith in, in Christ. And then we'll say a few things again about the spirit who's behind it all. So let's start with the seeker. There was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge. He's in charge. He's somebody, right? He, he's influential. He's powerful. He's successful. But for all that success in his own country, we're told he'd come to Jerusalem to worship. That means that very likely he has a Jewish Background. I believe it's a Jewish man living in Ethiopia. He's from the nation of Ethiopia. He came to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. A marvelous example of how the gospel is beginning to go out of Jerusalem to Samaria, and then we're going to get to the uttermost parts of the earth, right? This is the gospel for the first time going to Africa. So a few things to say about him. Obviously, we know he's from Ethiopia. We already said that. He's traveling to Jerusalem to worship, so he's interested in the things of God. He's engaged in reading the prophet Isaiah. He's influential, holds a prestigious position in his own nation's government. Now, if we zoom out for just a moment and see what's going on in Acts chapter 8, look at verse 5. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip. Unclean spirits came out of many who were possessed, crying out with a loud voice, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. And then we get to the Ethiopian. So just real fast, uh, predominantly those who lived in and around Samaria were uh, economically in great despair. It's an economically deprived village, if you will. So one of the things we're learning very quickly is the gospel is going forth to people of greatly varying backgrounds. Samaritans who hardly have two denarii to rub together, and then an Ethiopian eunuch who we're told is in charge of the entire nation's treasury. 
the uh, principle here is as plain as day, but I'll say it anyway. The gospel's for all people, amen? The gospel is for everybody. The gospel is for all ethnicities. The gospel is for all nations, all backgrounds. God's desire is what he's already proclaimed will be true in Revelation, that people from every language, tribe, tongue will be around the throne worshiping him forever and ever. This man's background, however, we're told something about him. Verse 27, there was an Ethiopian and he's a eunuch. Now, friends, it's an unfortunate practice in those days, but I think this helps us understand a little bit of his background. A practice in those days that in order to work for royalty, as he does with Queen Candace, you would demonstrate complete faithfulness to the royalty by, well, well, by becoming, well, by becoming a eunuch. So just think about this man's background for a moment. He was harmed in order to prove faithfulness mutilated in order to demonstrate that he was trustworthy, right? His queen commanded him to be harmed in order to serve. And that's his background. And I can't help but think, friends, when he's reading along in Isaiah and he gets to a verse that says, like a sheep he was led to slaughter, like a lamb before him, it shears is silent that there's something in his background that piques his interest. Who is this talking about? There's something in this passage that intrigues him. And he wants to know more. The other that we can say about this honest seeker is that for all his success, if you will, in the realm of his occupation and his influence, he still thinks there's something more out there, right? He doesn't think that he's arrived. He thinks there must still be more to life than, than this. And so one of the most important things we can say about this man or anybody that would come in pursuit of truth is that he, he's humble. Friends, we don't live in very humble days, do we? Everybody, whether it's social media or television, everybody wants to declare what an expert they are on any number of things. But this man isn't that way. He's humble. Now picture the scene. Probably the best way that we could understand it is, uh, and I spent a little bit of time in our nation's capital this week, so that's probably why it's fresh on my mind. But here's the scene, if we put it sort of in modern terms. There's a... uh, there's a, there, there's a secretary of the treasury of another nation driving down Capitol right there in Washington, D.C. in his limousine, right? What's this man riding in a chariot? Not everybody just rode around in chariots in those days. You probably knew that. You had to be somebody. And then somebody rides up on a bike, just taps on the limousine, says, hey, can I talk to you? Can you, can you imagine how a, a, a strange it would be if the person in the limousine said, yeah, sure, come on and sit down. But that's what happens here. Philip, humble Philip, faithful Philip led by the Spirit out to this desert place. They're actually kind of in the middle of nowhere. Comes alongside, and here's a man seeking God, who, this is very important, has determined in his own heart that he doesn't already know it all. Doesn't act superior. Doesn't say that he has all the, uh, all the answers. In fact, if you track along this conversation that Philip and the Ethiopian have, it's built around four questions. Here are the questions. Philip starts... Do you understand what you're reading? Question number two. How can I unless someone guides me? Question number three. Who's this prophet talking about? Question number four. What prevents me from being baptized? I want you to think about these questions, particularly the eunuch asks. How can I understand unless somebody guides me? Uh, 
a posture of pride would say, yeah, yeah, I understand this. You ever been there? Every husband say amen. When you pretended that you knew where you were going and you knew what you were doing, no matter what the, uh, you know, the, the direction said, you know better, right? Been there? I've been there. I'll just tell you, I've been there. Where I decided before I knew what I was talking about that I knew what I was talking about. It's a dangerous way to live, isn't it? Because it's only a matter of time before you, it's made obvious that you don't know what you're talking about. We've, we've been there, but that's not how he is. Somebody, I need somebody to guide me. And then he says, who's, who's he talking about? What prevents me? These are humble questions. So, quickly, in application, those who are engaged and involved in sharing the gospel, number one, you've got to be a person of great humility. You yourself have to be a person of great humility. And humility begins with this, friends, that we don't get to tell God what we ought to do. If he says you're to be my witnesses, guess what? A humble person responds, okay, I'll be your witness. That's what you've told me that I need to to do and to be. And we don't come up with excuses and any number of reasons why we ought not to do what the Spirit says to do. And then secondly, as you share the gospel, look for humble people. Look for people who are uh, willing to read the Bible, for example. He's searching for God. And then, friends, this is so important. Where is he searching for God at? Remember, he's come to Jerusalem to worship. But even as he's leaving Jerusalem and he's on his way back to Ethiopia, what's he doing? He's reading the Scriptures. Friends, people look for signs from God in all sorts of places. Some people look at their horoscope. I've not read my horoscope very frequently, but I've read enough to know most horoscopes are so vague in general they can be applied to anybody at any time. Most horoscopes say something's going to happen to somebody sometime, maybe. Other people say we've got to look within ourselves, right, to find some sense of of God, as long as it's true to me, whatever that might mean. But this man, this man... Look to the one place, now listen to me very carefully. He looked to the one place that God has actually chosen to reveal himself. You know where that one place is? It's right here. This is where God has chosen. This is where we're back to humility. Humility says, I'm not going to tell God how he should reveal himself. I'm going to choose to listen in humility where God says that he's revealed himself. And it's right here in the Scripture. So, so in spite of holding prestigious office, position of influence, this, this man continues to search for truth. If you've got a sermon insert, you might see there on the back, I just want to make a quick uh, appeal. This is important. When, um, when the man says, how can I know unless somebody guides me? You see what Philip's response is? Philip's ready to guide him. Does it make sense? I know it's real obvious, real simple. So it's a real simple question for you. If, if someone were to come up to you and say, can you guide me to the truth? Would you be able to do that? Now, I think the Holy Spirit is, uh, is at work and helps Philip because he's got him in Isaiah 53. And you're almost there already. I mean, Philip could have come along and he could have been, you know, in Leviticus mid-chapter of one of these Oh, and you can get there. You can get there from Leviticus too, by the way, or Judges or, or wherever else. But Isaiah 53 is a great place to begin because ultimately the entire Bible, friends, is about who? The entire Bible is about Jesus. 
The entire book is about, is about him. So you can, you can open up anywhere in this book, and it'll lead you to Jesus if you'll search for him in humility. But are you capable, right? Are you capable of leading someone to faith in Christ? So that's what we did last week. Remember our five points of the gospel? Uh, we won't go into that uh, this go-round, but just a question for you. Philip finds himself with an opportunity... And, and I, I feel the need to say, because I know this has been true in my own life, a lot of times while we avoid opportunities to share the gospel is we don't have a lot of confidence that if we get into it, that we're going to be able to lead a person to where they need to go in the Scripture. And the best remedy for that is to be a regular Bible reader for yourself. How much Bible have you read this week? Again, I'm not making some legalistic requirement. Did you read? The average church goer, if we ask the question, did you watch more TV this week or read Bible? Most just say TV, and I'll just give you a reminder that uh, television programs is, uh, reveal the thoughts, ways, priorities of people. The Bible reveals the thoughts, ways, priorities of, of God. So if you've got your insert there, it's just a simple uh, thing that we do a couple times a month. You read it there, it's on the back of your insert. We've got a Bible reading group, because I find in my life, a lot of times I need help doing the things that I know I ought to do. So we've got a group that meets, you just read it there, it's just, a, just, a, just an appeal. Next Sunday is the first Sunday of the month. hope this doesn't sound too complicated. The first and third Sundays of the month meet in the library, a group of people devoted to reading through the Scripture together. I don't know of anything more beneficial to your walk with the Lord than to read the Bible, think about it, and then talk to people about what we're reading. Okay, so that's my, <laughs> that's my plug there. The Ethiopian was an honest and humble seekers. And friends, there remain honest and humble seekers around you if you'll look for them, listen to them, and then lead them to Jesus. That's what we find happening here. So that's the seeker. Let's move secondly to the, to the witness, Philip himself. I want to say to you real quickly, let's see here, uh, three things real quick about Philip. Number one, Philip is sensitive and responsive to the Spirit's leading. So just think about this real quick. Philip is in Samaria, and he's teaching the gospel and preaching, and he's doing so to a whole lot of people. Hundreds of people seemingly are coming to faith in Christ, and the Spirit says, Philip, we got to go. On the surface, that doesn't make a lot of sense, does it? Philip, you need to leave this thriving ministry and go out, and the Bible's description is, this was a desert place. Desert place. Sparse place. Now, Philip, leave the thriving ministry you've got and go out here to talk to how many people? One person? And see, this is how we think sometimes. What's the Spirit interested in? Spirit's interested in, we've got to get the gospel to this honest seeker. And Philip, we got to move, and we got to move right now. Leave a place where it seems like many people are responding to the message of the gospel. It doesn't seem like an opportune moment to leave. But the Spirit says to Philip, we need to move. And you look with me. We read it. Verse 27, chapter 8. And he rose and went. Isn't that a great great statement? A statement that would be true of you. And the Spirit directs you. Now, I would say for you, friends, the Spirit of God is going to direct you primarily through the Word of God. We don't need to know if the Spirit is, want, is wanting us to be witnesses. We've got it right here in the Scripture. In fact, we're reading and studying through Acts. The whole reason the Spirit of God has come is what? The Spirit of God will come upon you, and then you will be my witnesses. In Jerusalem, 
in Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. And I learned something tremendous about Philip here. Repeat a little bit what we've said. We learned initially that Philip was willing to faithfully serve the Lord in little things, right? Serving the tables back in Jerusalem with the widows. But he never moved on from being willing to serve in the little ways. Does that make sense? Serving the Lord in little things is not a season of your life. that Okay, I did that, and now I'm done with that, and now I move on to bigger and better things. No, there's nothing bigger or better in the kingdom of God than for you to share the gospel with somebody. Philip didn't say, no, I don't really feel like I'm uh, called to go to the desert. I checked that box off in my life. 60 miles away is where the Spirit told Philip to go. 60 miles by foot, most likely, right? But when the Spirit said, Philip, go, Philip went. And so can I just ask you this? Are there clear directions that the Holy Spirit has given you from the Word of God that you're not responding to, that you're not saying yes to? Can I tell you a couple of, couple of tragedies from that called grieving the Holy Spirit? If, if, if God's made some things clear in the Word, can I give you a few examples? Flee sexual immorality. It's a dangerous thing to just say, well, okay, well, I, I, I might get around to doing that. Love your enemies. It's right in the scripture, right? I mean, I'm talking about things we don't have to say, oh, should, should I really do this? So, sometimes we make it, uh, <laughs> make it more complicated than it is at times. The Spirit speaks, and Philip rose and went. You will never regret. You will never regret. You will never regret obeying the word of God. You will regret not obeying I also have to understand that the Spirit knows things Philip doesn't know. You know what that's called again? Humility, right? Humility. Philip doesn't quite know what's going to come around the bend. The Spirit knows, hey, there's a man, and he's right there. He's been studying. He's been thinking. He's been seeking. Philip, I need you to go. I need you to go. So one, Philip's sensitive and responsive to the Spirit's leading. Friends, I just tell you, nothing deadens the heart to the Spirit's prompting quite like unrepented of sin. Just tell you that. It's not a major point, but I just tell you that before we move here to secondly, Philip engaged the man and responded to him. That's what we read here. The Spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him, right? Don't you love this about Philip? He's eager. He's willing. He's racing to obey. Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet. And asked him, do you understand what you are reading? Philip engaged the man, and then he responded to him. And so we need to be able to, or rather, we need to be willing to do both. Personal interaction, I believe this, personal interaction remains the best means of leading someone to Christ. Personal interaction. Probably not a lot of people in your life are going to repent and follow Christ in response to your Facebook status. Now, use the Facebook status. Do all, that, all things for the glory of God. But do not, do not forget that the best means to engage and respond to people is in person. Can we get really practical for a moment? Would that be all right? Can we get practical? We need, we need, to, we need to put the phones down, friends. 
You have to put the phones down and be willing to do something again called talk to people face to face. I was sharing with someone earlier that uh, uh, we went to D.C. and I took my son, went with my brother to the baseball game. And I was just amazed. We're sitting here at the baseball game, live and in person. I look around the stands. You know what everybody's doing? They're on their phones. I'm just going to give you a warning. If you're not careful, whole life's going to go by and you are on on your phone. I'm not trying to step on anybody's toes. It's true in my own life. Here's a Here's a, here's a practice. Here, here's, here's, here's a simple practice. You take your phone today, take your phone today, and uh, put it under a pillow or somewhere in your room and walk away from it and see how long you can go. Just see how long you can go. If you got this itch in 10 minutes, right, then we won't have an issue, right? Personal communication, right? So we all get together now and just sit in the same room, but we're not interacting with one another. Now, I know that Philip didn't have Facebook at the time, but, but he's not posting on Facebook, hey, I'm going to go down here and share the gospel with somebody. He just went and did it. He didn't tweet, hashtag baptism in the desert. You know what I'm saying? He didn't Instagram a selfie and say, check it out. Baptize the Ethiopian secretary of the treasury today. Well, he walked in the spirit, listened to the spirit, had an actual conversation with another living, breathing possessing an eternal soul human being, and he was able to respond in person to his questions. Now, now, obviously, of course, of course, we want to use social media and all the technology of our day to leverage it for the gospel. But I just want to give you an encouragement that I believe what the Spirit of God uses most is personal interaction. Give you an example, best example of all. When Jesus was going to come, how did he do it? That's the incarnation, friends. He says, I'm going to come in person. So he's able to resp- engage him and respond. I was uh, born strongly introverted. And when I just use that first word, Philip engaged the man. I'll just be honest with you. Apart from the grace of God and the enabling of the Spirit, I, I, I'm not good at just engaging people in conversation. I think I'm getting a little bit better at it, and mainly that's because I've been around my wife so much, Julie, who's great at it. But being willing to engage people in conversation, that's what Philip does as he walks in the, in the Spirit. And third, so, so first of all, Philip's sensitive and responsive to the Spirit's leading. Secondly, he engaged the man and responded to him. When's the last time you really engaged someone for the purpose of sharing the gospel with him? Now, can we be, can we be honest? Not, not every time you do this is going to go like this, right? I mean, this is awesome. Acts 8 is awesome. But I don't want to give you some uh, unrealistic expectation that every time you open up your mouth, someone's just going to say, well, what prevents me from being baptized? And that might be a lot. Unbelief, unrepentant of sin, unwillingness to submit to the authority of Christ. Now, those things were not true of, 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 of this man. But can I also tell you, friends, when you engage, sometimes it will go like this. Sometimes it will. Sometimes you'll find people that the Holy Spirit has already been at work in their lives. So third, not only is Philip sensitive and responsive to the Spirit leading, but Philip engaged and responded to this person, to this person he cares about. And then third, Philip told him the good news about Jesus. How can I unless somebody guides me? He invited Philip to come up and sit with him, right? That's a good sign. That's a good indicator. Try to engage somebody and they slam the door in your face. Okay. You know what Jesus told you to do? What did Jesus tell you to do in Luke 10? Shake the dust off your feet and go to the next house. Go to the next chariot. Go to the next place. 
<clears throat> but he opens the door, invites him to sit with him. And notice, here's what Philip does. Verse 35, Philip opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture, told him the good news about Jesus. It's so simple, it's so clear, but man, we need help with this. Philip, it says three things. One, he opened his mouth. That's the first thing many of us need help with, right? He opened his mouth. Number two, he used the scripture. And then number three, he told him the good news about Jesus. That's witnessing. That's what it means to witness, to open your mouth and use the word of God to talk to people about the Son of God. And Philip told him the news, the facts about Jesus. That's what that word means. Told him the good news about Jesus. Very, very clear. Philip doesn't give his opinions about things or his feelings about things. He says the facts about Jesus. Can I give you something I discern in our culture that's bleeding over into the church? You understand what's happening in our country, right? Very skillfully, there's come a disconnect between facts and faith. And, and the strategy is to remove the two from one another. But I want to tell you that if you're a believer in Jesus, your faith is rooted in facts, things that happened. Either he came or he didn't come, right? Either he, he was crucified or he wasn't crucified. Either he went in the tomb and came out of the tomb or he didn't. We, we, our, our, our faith is rooted in facts. But in our day, there's this desire to separate what you believe and what you have faith in from anything that's actually happened. And, and friends, that is, not, that is not how these early believers were in Acts at all. And it's not how you ought to be. You know why they're out there witnessing? Because many of them had seen that empty tomb. And they had seen Jesus ascend to the right hand of the Father. And that, that revealed to them, hey, we got to get going. These things he said are true. Philip shared the news. Now consider the news that Philip shared. The, the news was that the one the prophet was talking about is Christ. Look at this scripture. Look at this scripture. Parenthetically, I would tell you that if we're to open our mouths and use the scripture to talk about Jesus, an obvious strategy of the enemy will always be to discredit this book. That's why you need to read it for yourself. I'm amazed at the number of people. I'll ask one question. Do you believe the Bible? Their answer will be no. Follow-up question. Have you ever read the Bible for yourself? You know what the answer usually is? No, not really. It's a good place to start if you want to share the gospel with somebody. Would you be willing to read the gospel of John with me, for example? Just read a chapter and we'll sit down and we'll talk about it. Most people sat in a class somewhere along the way and some professor or something along the line told them they were foolish to believe this book and they felt so ashamed and embarrassed about it and a desire to want to appear smart, they just accepted what the professor said. Read it for yourself. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb, before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. What's this prophecy talking about? It's talking about when they led Jesus to Calvary. He's being led to the slaughter. He's the lamb of God. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. In other words, he's dying for something that he hasn't done, namely your sins, my sins. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. Now, pluralism in our country is so prevailing 
that one of two things has to happen. E- either other religious teachers have to be elevated to the level of Jesus, or Jesus has to be brought down. That, that, that's the gist, right? Pluralism. All, all teachings are equally valid. And, and you can buy into that until and unless you do one thing, what this Ethiopian did. And that's open up this book and in humility begin to read. And if in humility you'll begin to read, you'll see that it makes claims that don't allow for the validity of the pluralistic culture that we live in. Does that make sense? Jesus said things that if, he, if they're true, he's not on an equal footing with all the others. He's the name above, what's the Bible say? Every name that had the name of Jesus. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And Philip shared the good news about Jesus. Chapter 8, verse 5. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. 8, 12. Uh, when they believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized. 8, 35. So beginning with this scripture, he told them the good news about Jesus. In 8, 40, Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. That's Philip's life. He's a witness of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what people need to hear more than anything else. So leverage your conversations around that goal. Leverage your life to this end that other people hear the good news. That there's one who, like a sheep led to the slaughter, willingly laid down his life to bring you back to God, to pay your sin debt. And they put him in the tomb, and he came up out of there. So one is the honest seeker. Two, the willing witness And then third, our third and final point is the spirit behind it all. Who who inspired Isaiah to write that prophecy? Who prompted, who do you think, who do you think prompted the eunuch to read the Bible? Who led Philip out to the middle of nowhere to be a witness? Who organized everything around someone who needed to hear about Jesus to come across someone who could tell him about Jesus? And by the way, it's all about Jesus, right? After he hears the good news, it says they're going along the road, verse 36, and they came into some water, and the eunuch said, See, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? It's a good question, isn't it? Anybody willing to answer the question uh, in a single word? What, prevents, what prevented him from being baptized? Nothing. Nothing, not after he comes to faith in Christ and submits to his authority. Does his nationality prevent him? Now, the, the people, sinful human beings, are really good at building up dividing walls of hostility, to use the Ephesians text. We, we, we divide ourselves up into categories, nationalities, ethnicities, this, this, so on and so forth. But you know what Paul says? Jesus Christ has broken down the dividing wall of hostility and he himself has become our peace and has made the two into one, right? The body of Christ. No, 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 not your nationality. That's not going to prevent you. How about his past? Things he's done in his past, is that going to prevent him? How about his limited understanding? I'm just hearing these things for the first time clearly today. How about my job? What's going to prevent me? Nothing's going to prevent him. And notice his disposition. He went on his way rejoicing. He went on his way rejoicing. Has that happened in your life, by the way? As you said, what prevents me? The, the gospel proclaims that anything that did 
prevent you from being reconciled to God, Jesus Christ paid for in his own body on the tree. That's why we sang this song. The old rugged cross, our salvation. Now, uh, I want you to hold your spot there in Acts 9. Look at one more scripture together over here in Acts chapter 21. Acts chapter 21. We, we, get, one more, we get one more scene out of Philip in the book of Acts. Uh, for the most part, once we begin in Acts 9, as we'll study next week, the spotlight's going <clears> to, <throat> with a brief um, exception to Peter, going to shift to Paul. And so we won't see much more of Philip, though he's already taught us a lot, but we see him one more time in Acts chapter 21. And in verse number 8, this is Luke, the author of Acts. He's writing, and Luke at the time is traveling with Paul. It says, on the next day we departed and came to Caesarea. And look whose house they're going to go to. We entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven and stayed with him. Oh, friends, wouldn't you have loved to be there? You know, I know baseball fans sometimes say, man, I'd love to sit down and go to lunch with Ted Williams and Babe Ruth and Joe DiMaggio or a football fan. I'd love to sit at Joe Montana and Johnny Unite. Friends, at this table on this evening, here's Philip, and here's Luke, and here's Paul. And that's somewhere I'd like to be. That's the house I'd like to enter. And, and, and it's here, here he says, uh, he had four unmarried daughters. Well, bless Philip's heart, right? Who prophesied while we were staying for many days. And so we'll, we'll stop reading there, but I, I think it must have played out like this. He got... Paul and Luke and Philip, and they're sitting in the same house. And, and Luke must have at some point said, Philip, I think, I think it, in time I might sit down and write a book about all these things, write a book about Jesus' life and his ministry. And, and then I want to follow that up with a second book about all that's happened in our own day. You, you got any stories, Philip, I might be able to put in that book? And you know what I think Philip said? Yeah, I, I got some things I could share. You, you're writing a book about what the Spirit of God has done in our generation? I got some stories, Philip. I got some stories, rather, Luke. I am Philip. I've confused myself. I, I want to tell you about uh, oh, the old church in Jerusalem, where I got my start. And then I'll tell you about when I went to Samaria. And, 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 and then I want to highlight a time that the Spirit of God prompted me to go out and talk to a man. I've not seen him since. I got a few. And that leads me to ask my last question. Now, we understand Luke, an inspired author of the Holy Spirit. So I'm not trying to stretch this, but just listen to me. Just think about it. If someone was going to write a book about the advance of the gospel in your lifetime, about the area in which you live, would you have to be included? In other words, they're going to tell the story. Oh, here's what the Spirit of God's done in Rocky Mount in my lifetime. Would you be included? Would you have stories that you... Let me tell you about this. Let me tell you about this time when I shared the gospel with this person. Because there is a book being written, friends. It's got names in it. It's called The Lamb's Book of Life. And by the grace of God, I can say with confidence today, I believe my name's in that book. And here's my firm conviction. If your name is in that book, it ought to be your desire to be used of God in the lives of others so that their names can get written in the book. So some concluding applications 
to the honest seeker in the room today. Those of you, you're not a believer in Jesus yet, but you're willing to read, you're willing to think, you're willing to ask the questions, you're unwilling to just accept the platitude answers that the culture gives. Friend, that is evidence of God's Spirit at work in your life. When you shift from being cynical and argumentative to listening and and learning, you've made a step in the direction of God. When you turn from ignoring the Bible to opening it and reading it and engaging your mind and really thinking and asking honest questions, you've taken another step in the direction of God. So keep reading, keep asking, keep being humble. Don't get to the point where you say, I got it all figured out. Continue to seek the Lord at a time when he may be found. But I'd also like to tell you, that that search does need to reach a conclusion. Either Jesus is or he isn't. Either he's come and paid the penalty for your sin or he didn't. Don't don't try to settle in some sort of middle ground where you say, well, he's like the other religious leaders. If you read his own statements, he doesn't allow for that conclusion to be made of him. Either he's Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. I believe, I believe he is the son of God. I believe he did come to earth in person. I believe that's who Jesus is. God come in the flesh. And I believe he did, like a lamb led to the slaughter, go to Calvary and open not his own mouth and denied himself justice in the sense of, I don't have any sin to pay for, but he laid down his own life so that your sin could be paid for. And then to the potential witness. Be engaged with other people. Don't string along days and weeks and months and years that you don't share the gospel. Be a good listener. Get up in the morning prepared to have a conversation with somebody about Jesus. Just start with that mindset. Just pray that God would lead you to people, lead you to have conversation with the waitress or with the person who's at the checkout line or with your co-worker. Philip was available and Philip was prepared. So that's a good application for for you, right? Are you prepared for when the opportunity arises? And then are you looking for the opportunity? Philip had preached to the large crowds, but he's also willing to go out to the middle of nowhere to talk to one person. And once he began a conversation, he moved to the heart of the matter very, very, very quickly. I caution you, I do believe it's important to build relationships with people, amen? But sometimes I think we get caught up in we're so involved in building a relationship, we never get around to the actual heart of the matter. And it moves from building relationships to sort of relationship stalling. Philip just got to the heart of the matter. He was an evangelist. Once he began the conversation, he quickly moved to the heart of the matter. So be willing to do that. The gospel is true or it's not true. I believe it's true. And if anybody here today would ask this question, what prevents me? What prevents me? What prevents me? If you are like the Ethiopian, willing to come in humility, confessing I don't have it all figured out, I need Jesus Christ. The answer is, There's nothing that prevents you. Amen? Let's stand together.
and we're going to pray together. We always want to have time to respond to the Word of God. Obviously, great example in Acts 8. Philip shares the gospel, and then then there's a response, and that's what we're aiming for. So, let's pray together. During this invitation, those of you who are believers in the Lord Jesus, I invite you to spend this invitation time getting prayed up and prepared to be a witness, to be willing to engage and respond to people, to be regular readers and thinkers about the things of God. And of course, if there be anybody here today, in the sound of my voice, who has not submitted to the Lordship of Christ, I appeal to you, repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, thank you for this wonderful picture of authentic witnessing. That Philip opened up his mouth and beginning with this scripture, proclaimed to him the Christ. So Father, help us to be mindful of those that are around us and near us that uh, likewise would be willing to read the Bible, to think about things, and then prepare us to be willing witnesses. Guides is the word we read here. Who will, how will I understand unless somebody guides me? Father, help us to be spirit-used guides. Use this invitation time. Father, I believe that here in Acts 8, we see that the Holy Spirit's behind it all. And so, Father, we prayerfully have time for the Spirit to move in our midst today. I pray that you would draw men and women to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's an urgent matter. We need your help, and we pray all this in his name. Amen.